0: This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman, brought to you by Decisions in Dentistry and the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman, CPA. Yes, you did not hear that incorrectly. We've changed the name of our podcast. We've added the words and management to the name of the podcast, and I've been talking to you for many, many weeks about the fact that we were going to have some exciting news about our podcast. The first one is the change of the name. We changed the name. Uh, to the Art of Dental Finance and Management, because we are covering many uh, dental management topics. And uh, I think we've done a really good job in covering these topics, and we're going to continue to do that to help you um, have a more profitable uh, dental practice and a more exciting and interesting and, and great experience every day you walk into your dental office. But what I'm really excited about is the partnership that we are forging, starting with uh, this edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management, and uh, we are starting a partnership with an incredible clinical dental magazine called Decisions in Dentistry. So, let me tell you a little bit about how that happened and why we've done this, and um, why I think it's a fantastic thing. And I've been jumping out of my skin for the last several months, uh, waiting for us to to launch this partnership. So. What happened was, is that uh, about nine months ago, I was introduced through a, a mutual business acquaintance um, to uh, Lorraine Kent. Lorraine is the president of Belmont Publications. Now, Belmont publishes uh, Decisions in Dentistry, which is the magazine that we're affiliating with, as well as Dimensions of Dental Hygiene. And once Lorraine and I started talking about you know what we did, uh, what what we both did, what I do both in my CPA practice in Southern California, and uh, with what Lorraine has done with uh, the magazine, it, it became very obvious very quickly that we um, we wanted to work together and collaborate and help uh, to get the word out. So what what Lorraine and the folks at Decisions um, have wanted to do and are starting to do, and and part of what they're uh, how they're doing this is is by partnering with uh, with with our podcast is um, what they want to do is they want to help dentists excel in all areas of practice and they are looking to broaden the scope of their online resources to include and to include the practical and business side of dentistry so uh, not only is uh, dimensions in dentistry a phenomenal magazine in the print form um, it goes out and reaches over 80,000 dentists. Now, think about that, ladies and gentlemen. There are about 180,000 dentists in the United States, so um, pretty darn close to 50% of the dentists in America uh, touch this magazine. It comes out monthly, and the great thing about the magazine uh, is that it's free if you are a dentist. Um, The magazine has got the absolutely top clinical content uh, in the world. Um, let me tell you a little bit about the magazine. Uh, it was launched about six years ago. Like I said, uh, it reaches more than 80,000 dentists in its print form. Uh, and they also have a website, which is www.decisions, with an S, in dentistry.com. And that website ar- archives all their published journal content and all their fantastic continuing education courses that you can take. Um, and they have partnered with uh, our newly named podcast, I got to get used to saying, The Art of Dental Finance and Management. Um, I won't try and say it fast three times, but uh, I will get used to the name. I really like it. So Decisions in Dentistry is a peer-reviewed clinical journal. It's written for dentists working in general family and cosmetic dentistry, as well as specialists from all disciplines. The content reflects the latest thinking from nationally ranked educators, researchers, and thought leaders, and the magazine is designed to support the highest level of multidisciplinary care. Now, by presenting clinically relevant articles in an inviting and easy-to-understand format, Decisions in Dentistry makes the complex simple and helps clinicians stay on the cutting edge of practice. Uh, It's unbiased, evidence-based articles. And continuing education courses also help dentists expand their clinical offerings uh, by adding new techniques and services. So, for example, if you go onto the website, which is www.decisionsindentistry.com, uh, you go to the January 2020 edition. Uh, the feature articles for that edition include uses for cone beam computed tom- tomographic in endodontic care. Management of malocclusion in children and adolescents, and provisional removable prosthesis fabricated from a digital impression. So those are the lead articles. There are other articles in there, and their website's phenomenal. And actually, their website now has a link to the podcast. So if you go on to the go on to the website again, www.decisionsanddentistry.com, uh, you can click on the podcast link, and you can not only link to Uh, our website, which is HMWC CPAs and Business Advisors. But you can also link to the Academy of Dental CPAs, which is my family and uh, sponsor of this podcast and uh, an amazing group of 24 CPA firms across the United States that represent 8,000, over 9,000 dentists uh, nationwide. And if you go on to the About tab on the Decisions of Dentistry website, You can click on the about, click on the about tab and then go to subscription. And again, if you are a dentist, this publication is free. And ladies and gentlemen, I have told you for months and months and months that I only work with the best. And this magazine and Lorraine Kent and her amazing team of who I've met several uh, of her team members who publish this magazine and manage this website. um, You know, it's like, I hope if someone walks into your dental office, and you know, patient walks in, and, and, and they just know that you've got your act together and you're professional, and and everything is organized. Well, that that's what I'm dealing with 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 Lorraine and her team. I mean, what they have done in in, in putting all this together and setting up the the landing page on their website and and talking about them, all the marketing and, and everything that they're doing. It has just been mind blowing to me. I mean, these people are the best. And if you're not subscribing to Decisions in Dentistry, uh, shame on you. You should be and go on subscribe to it. It's got great, uh, great, great content. And we're also partnering again, as I mentioned, with the Academy of Dental CPAs and You know, again, we want to work with the best and our organization is absolutely the best there is. 24 CPA firms across the United States that represent over 9,000 dentists. You have heard many of our members uh, over the past months uh, on the podcast and their expertise is second to none. And um, what we want you to do is if you're a subscriber... uh, uh, to decisions in dentistry go onto to the landing page click on the website uh, link the adcpa logo is there and go to our website which is www.adcpa.org and find a dental cpa in your area and call them uh, please call them you will not be sorry i mean some of the things that we do are such cutting edge just like just like uh, decisions in dentistry is cutting edge of you know clinical content. If you look at their advisory board, their executive advisory board, uh, which is on their website, it's a who's who in dentistry. It would take me an hour just to talk about these folks. So I am so so excited, and I am honored and humbled that this magazine and Lorraine and her team would choose to affiliate with my podcast. I am very, very proud of the work we've done uh, over the past 13 months. Folks, we have had, uh, we're approaching 40,000 downloads of our podcasts uh, over the past, like I say, 13 13 months. We started in December of 2018. Uh, and I, I just can't tell you how, how I've been, like I say, jumping out of my skin, waiting for this day to introduce decisions in dentistry. So, give you a little information. Uh, basically, if you want to get a hold of me in my office in Tustin, I'm at 714-505-9000. Uh, our website is www.hmwccpa.com. Go to the resources tab. Uh, go to podcast. You'll see all the podcasts. As you will see the podcasts on the Decisions in Dentistry's website. So go to Decisions in Dentistry website, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Uh, go to the podcast link and uh, you'll be able to see the landing page for our podcast. If you put some information down, we'll get you some great articles that we're going to be rotating uh, out uh, monthly. And if you want to subscribe to Decisions in Dentistry, uh, go to the about tab and click on subscribe. And if you're a dentist, it's free. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. And now we're going to go to our topic today, which is really important in dentistry. And uh, it's regarding leadership and building a team and managing a team and teaching a team and how to, how to use those skills along with uh, numbers and metrics uh, of a of a dental practice, and our guest today is Josie Sewell. Now, I met Josie this fall at uh, a symposium put on by Dental Intel in um, uh, in Snowbird, Utah, and Josie was one of the featured speakers, and she was amazing. And I will tell you that as I was listening, uh, I actually have a little place in my notepad. Um, for future guests on the podcast. And I'm sorry, Josie, I stopped listening for a second. And I wrote her name down and I had to call her and she is going to visit with us today. And doctors, now that you've heard the word leadership, promise me that you will not turn this off. Do not turn this off. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is really important because the doctors in my 35 years of experience as a dental CPA um, who embrace leading a team, and embrace teaching, and embrace vision and culture, which are the things we're going to talk about today, are the ones whose practices and lives thrive. So our guest today is Josie Sewell. Now, Josie has a, um, a very comprehensive background in dentistry. She's a registered dental hygienist. And for many years, um, she was uh, involved with a group called Carolina's Dentists, uh, and she was uh, their chief operating officer and integrator. And she recently came over to Dental Intel, and she's the vice president of uh, of education. And again, we're going to talk about leadership and culture. And, and Josie's wheelhouse is how to take a team and make it really, really go uh, like a big uh, steam engine or jet airplane or whatever you want to call it. So Josie Sewell, welcome to The Art of Dental Finance.
1: Art, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so excited to be part of this today and to be a guest and can't thank you enough for the opportunity.
0: Well, you're, you're very kind. I will tell you that um, y- your talk really, really hit home. It was just all the things you said are just spot on and all the things that I've taught and looked at in dentistry. I mean, I, I don't have the skills that you do and in, in, in what you do and you're going to hear about them shortly, but first of all you you shared with me that you uh your husband is a stay at home dad, and that um there's some interesting dynamics that go along with that. Why don't you uh, talk about that for a second?
1: Yes absolutely so um a few years ago, we um had a decision to make, and he was on a senior leadership team and doing really really well with his career and it was a regional cell phone company and so he oversaw you know. 20 locations and 75 sales employees, and did an amazing job. Um, but you know, we sat back and kind of asked ourselves. You know, life was was taking us along a path, and we just stopped and asked ourselves. You know, is this really what we want to do? Is this really where we want to be? And we were living in New Mexico, where we were born and raised. And um, our oldest son, Ethan, was 13 at the time, and Ethan has autism. And um, we decided to take a giant leap of faith and um, he quit his very successful job. We packed up all of our things. We sold our house. We moved to the Pacific Northwest um, in search of a better future for um, our son. And at that time, we actually decided that he um, he and I would really switch roles. And so I would become the breadwinner for the family because he is incredible with our oldest son, and he can get him to do things that nobody else can. So we made the switch. And um, it's just really, really fascinating, especially being here in Utah, um, for people to get to know our family, because we're, we're not that typical family. So yeah, he stays at home. And he's so much better at it than I am. Um, he's really consistent with the kids and does homework. And so my kids we're always laughing because, you know, people talk about more like these gender stereotypes, like, you know, mom's cooking or mom doing the laundry or mom doing this and that. And, um, you know, dad out and about working. And it's just different for different for my kids. In fact, uh, for Mother's Day last year, my daughter, who's nine, she had this little questionnaire that she filled out. And it was like, my mom is, you know, how old? What's her favorite color? And she said, one of the favorite things that my mom makes is and she put her sauce and I was like sauce what is
0: sauce talking
1: about sauce and I said Lila what do, what do you mean you like my sauce and she goes well mom I don't know what's that stuff we dip the carrots in I can't I couldn't even think <laughs> of anything else and I said Bridge dressing. The- <laughs> kidding me. This is the package that you stir in. It wasn't like in the bottle.
0: But you made it, Josie, you, you made, you made the sauce, right?
1: Like a, like a boss. I did. <laughs> so anyway, um, like it's, it's just so funny because my kids can't remember when mom was, you know, at home cooking for them every day and things like that. So there's a lot of talk about girl power and, you know, empowerment and things like that. But, you know, what's also interesting is just the things that my husband deals with being a stay-at-home dad and, you know, some of the kind of assumptions that people make, but it just works really well for our Well, for, We for, get a lot of laughs out of it. Well,
0: first of all, you and I both know that the most important job in the world is not being director of education of dental intel or being a CPA, mm-hmm. that the most important job in the world is being a parent. And uh, yeah. uh, there is it, it sounds like you and your husband are just absolutely at the top of your game and that you're you have an amazing family life and moving around is tough um i mean you said you were in the uh, carolinas and then the pacific northwest and now in, now you're in uh, in in utah at uh, at your new uh, new career so tell us a little bit about your journey how did you get started in dentistry and how did you get to where you are today
1: yeah so um You know, I got married, we got I got married when I was 19. So got married young, and um, my husband's amazing. And then we had a little boy. And I actually had always wanted to go to medical school, had always wanted to go to medical school, and um, had a big scholarship to go to the University of New Mexico. And um, for that actually to um, provide some things for my brother. My dad had passed away and, and my mom was struggling with some things in life. And so um, I forwent that scholarship and I stayed in my little town and got three jobs and an apartment and moved my brother in with me, who was a sophomore in high school at that time. And so, um, you know, always this desire that I wanted an education and I wanted to be in healthcare. care. So um, at the community college in the town that we lived in, they had nursing and they had dental hygiene. And, um, both of my parents were nurses and I didn't want to work nights, (laughs) weekends or holidays. So I chose dental hygiene and I fell in love with the profession. I fell in love with the relationship that I had with patients. Um, and the same month that I got my acceptance letter into dental hygiene school, that's the same month that my son was diagnosed with autism. Okay. And so just learning, um, you know, how to work with people with special needs, how to be a mom of a kid with special needs. Um, But anyway, I just, you know, I loved it. So I got out of school and started working um, full time and realized, you know, it was about a year into it. I remember very vividly standing in the operatory and just looking around and asking myself, is this it? I haven't even finished paying off my student loans. (laughs) My husband's (laughs) going to kill me if I'm like, hey, maybe I should have gone to nursing school. But, um, you know, it's so funny, because I think that, you know, we all have different strengths and personalities. And sometimes we don't find those things out until we get ourselves down a certain path. And so for me, repetition and routine are really kind of my kryptonite. I love to be doing different things and taking on different challenges. And I love being more strategic. So I started exploring alternative careers in hygiene. And I did you know, some speaking, I did some writing, I, um, you know, would work with different companies that would bring me in and do trade shows. And so I was experimenting with all of these things. And so when we moved to the Pacific Northwest, I started working with a company that they would pull in a bunch of data from practices. And I worked on a five function team. And that was operations, finance, HR, marketing, and then training or professional development. And that was what I did. And so we would take a look at practices, find out what the dentist, you know, what their goals were, see how their practice was doing and create a strategic plan and then hold them accountable to that plan. So I just, you know, got more involved with the business of dentistry and understanding that. And one of my clients at that company was actually Carolina's dentist. Okay. And so we worked together virtually for about a year. And, you know, sometimes when you meet people that you just have so much synergy and so much, you just, you know, it's like you love them and love their vision and you you know you want to work together. And so that was for me, that was uh, Dr. Eric Roman and Dr. Clifton Cameron. And so they called me one day and they said... Josie, nobody has ever been able to hold us accountable like you can. We need you as part of our company. You know, would you be willing to move to North Carolina? I said, absolutely, I would. So I went and sat in various different roles on the executive team. So I did director of hygiene for a while. I did director of people, which was HR, director of operations, and then moved to the chief operating officer. So um, and then helped prepare the company as they went through um a transaction transition this last year and joining a larger group, um, Lightwave Dental from Virginia. Right. And then um, it was time that being away from our family was really tough, and we wanted to move west. And Weston and I had developed a really great relationship because I use Dental Intel every single day, and um, just fell in. I just loved the product, and we implemented it throughout our entire company. And so Weston gave me a call and. It was an offer that I, I couldn't pass up because it was something I was really excited about. So I ended up moving to Utah.
0: And here we are today and stuff. So you you had mentioned, uh, uh, and, and I looked at some pictures, of your beautiful son, Ethan, as you said, he's 17. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you, we had uh, close to 200 people in the room in Snowbird. And I think it was at the end of the seminar, Josie, you started talking about Ethan Um, I guarantee you there probably was not a dry eye in the room. Uh, Mine was wet. I was crying. Uh, I don't cry much, but that was an incredible story. Share a little bit of what you'd like about your son. He sounds wonderful.
1: Thank you so much. So Ethan developed normally. Um, He walked early. He talked early. Um, He was this social little guy. And um, around 22 months old, the brick walls went up. And so Ethan stopped talking and Ethan even stopped where it was like he couldn't understand what it was I was saying to him where before I might be able to say, you know, get your shoes, we're gonna go to the park. And he'd trot off and get his shoes and come back. Um we saw that go away. And um, you know, it, it was this when you're in the middle of it, you don't realize how big the difference is. Um and so, you know, as we started looking back, I remember the moment that hit me the most was, it was the 4th of July. We were actually up here in Utah visiting family. And I remember thinking that he was old enough that I felt like he was going to really start to enjoy being around his cousins and interacting with our family. And I remember sitting back and it was a summer day and we're outside and I looked across the yard and all of my nieces and nephews were in a little group playing. And my son was you know, not near them, he was just kind of playing by himself. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I paid attention throughout the rest of the weekend and and noticed that he wasn't necessarily, you know, interacting with the group and just realizing, you know, like, okay, like, he's definitely not talking what's happening. So I took him to the doctor, you know, you start with a hearing test, and then it's a speech test. And then you're, you know, going to see different specialists. So about Six and a half months later, I find myself in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We had decided to travel to a team for an evaluation because if we would have waited for them to come to us, it would have been like another four to six months, and we were just really, really struggling. And um, so I remember sitting in this. uh, We all day he had been evaluated by different people: so a pediatrician, a cognitive therapist, a motor specialist. And somebody would come in and interact with him while other people stood behind like, you know, the mirrored wall or whatever. So they sat us down and my family, a bunch of family members had come down to be with us. And I'm sitting in this circle and there's all these people. And my little boy who's two and a half years old is, you know, in this red, this red um like plaid shirt and he's got his big Buzz Lightyear playing. And um, the woman said to me, you're here today because you wanted to find out you know, what's happening with Ethan. And after we, you know, evaluated Ethan, and we met as a team, we all agree that Ethan meets the criteria for autism spectrum disorder, of which there is no cause and no cure. And so in that moment, our life changed. And, you know, I remember driving home the three hours home, and it was trying to make sense of it. And it was like, I just kept just autism 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 like seeing the word hearing the word like it was just floating in my mind you know as we went home and so we thought you know what it's okay this is just going to be a little bump in the road we're going to get through this Ethan's going to graduate high school hopefully he'll get to be married someday you know we're going to get through this and um, you know you sit down and he's in preschool at two years old and you're setting goals that You know, very, very, very simple that he will point to things accurately, that he will, um, you know, maybe say a few words or use pictures to communicate or count to 10 or whatever. And, um, you work hard and you, you try really hard to fight for those little things. And you have these moments where you feel like you have this progress or, you know, you've met this milestone or whatever. And you, you start to get really hopeful. And then you show up to an IEP meeting and you realize that we're still not meeting those goals. And so the goals that he set in preschool are still actually some of the goals that he has now in high school. Right. So it wasn't until, um, and we've worked so hard and tried to do everything that we could and being in a rural area in New Mexico, you know, we didn't have access to like an ABA therapist or things like that. So we were just constantly researching and trying to find out for ourselves. And so um, I find myself in another IEP meeting about a year and a half ago in, in North Carolina, and they just redone a bunch of evaluations. And I'm sitting in a room again with a bunch of people. And, um, they say, you know, based on our evaluations, um, Ethan's functioning about the level of a 24 to a 36 month old. And like, I, it's, it's when they put numbers on it like that. It hits
0: you right between the eyes.
1: Right between the eyes, even though you live with it every day. So Ethan is 17. He's, Probably five ten. He's two hundred and twenty pounds. He's this big boy, um, and so a lot of people, um, you know, I can I can look at things like that. We're still trying to point to things accurately or answer a yes or no question um, after all of the intervention we've tried to do, and and I think that you can get discouraged. But you know, Ethan is this gentle giant, and Ethan has this ability to connect with people and to touch their life and to recognize when they need some just pure love that he can offer. And we've had so many instances where he will randomly interact with a stranger. And we find out that that stranger is really struggling with something or they're very sick. Um, And so Ethan can find joy in a sun ray coming through a window or a feather that's floating or, you know, the, he loves little babies and he loves to, you know, just watch them and touch their cheeks. And so with despite the challenges that Ethan has and that our life really revolves around taking care of him, including, you know, my husband giving up a successful career right. um, to provide for Ethan. Um, we recognize that there's so much to be grateful for and there's so much to just um be happy about and recognize that his life is, he has his own mission and he has his own purpose and it's, it may not be owning a business or, you know, things like that, but he's making a difference in the world just by, by being his sweet.
0: self. Well, I I will tell you, first of all, God bless you, you and your husband, You, you, the thing about raising children, it's unconditional love. That's what it is all about. I've never cried in recording a podcast. This may be the first time, but, um, uh, and, and maybe as we go along and talk about our topic today, maybe if you have a chance to weave in some of the lessons you've learned in raising Ethan and how maybe it's helped you in your work, we can, that would be wonderful. So, but, but again, God, God bless you and your husband, Jody, uh, Josie. That's, that's that's just a wonder. It was a wonderful, wonderful story when you told it and, and, and now also. So let's get into our topic. Your, your wheelhouse, Josie, is, is really, um, uh, helping people lead teams, train managers, and, and using metrics. So let, let's start off and talk about culture. Why is What is culture in a dental office, and, and why do you think it's so important?
1: You know, we toss around the word culture a lot. And, um, you know, I here I am in Utah, and I work for a tech company, right? And so we have things like the ping pong tables, and the soda machines, and the free snacks, and they provide lunch. So there's a lot of those things that people kind of refer to as like, oh, it's it's cultural. And I think that, you know, those things are great. But I think that culture is really so much more than that. And culture, while it can be maybe difficult to define, um, it is really about the relationships that we have with each other. And for me, culture is to the extent that I can be vulnerable with my team and with my leaders, and that we can be open and honest with each other. And so if you think about, you know, when we come out, we come to work, often we put a mask on, right? And we we might hide our fears, we might hide where we struggle or our failures. And so we put on this mask and try to be very, very strong. And so for me, uh, you know, having been in a team where there was an incredible amount of vulnerability-based trust where it was okay for me to say, I didn't get that done or I'm really struggling with this. I don't know what the answer is or it didn't go so well and know that they're going to love me anyway and support me and we're going to try to find a way for me to capitalize on my strengths and provide my greatest impact to the team and balance each other out. So for me, the ability to... Make sure that we can um, be vulnerable with each other, be open and honest, talk about things that are working and are not working um, openly, and also this idea of accountability, that even though I might be a dental hygienist, that my dentist is open to peer accountability and vice versa.
0: And, and you know th- that's interesting because I, I led a team, uh, my CPA firm, for 33 years before I merged it with the firm that I'm with now, HMWC. And I always had it in my mind too, Josie, that I had to have all the answers. I had to get everything right. I had to be perfect. I had to know it. And if I didn't, there was something wrong with me. Is is that an issue that you see that maybe dentists are afraid that they that they can't be vulnerable, like you were saying.
1: Absolutely. You you just hit the nail on the head. I think that you know, there's this assumption, the team, and I'm sure that you especially experienced this in your work, where the team assumes that the dentist is just raking in the money, right? And they might see that, oh, we're a million dollar practice. The dentist is taking home at least three-fourths of that, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Overhead in dentistry is 15%. We know that, right?
1: Right. Yes, exactly. And so the team doesn't understand and the dentist has a hard time talking about, especially when they're struggling and they don't feel like they can say, guys, I like I went to dental school. I didn't I didn't get a master's degree in HR or you know, whatever, and, and I'm struggling. And so I think that yes, we we definitely put that up. And what's amazing is as I work with teams and work with dentists, when the dentists can be open and honest and share their concerns and their worries and the things that keep them up at night, it's amazing how it brings that team together. And suddenly those team members, they become very like loyal and they want they will fight to support that doctor, but they have to know that they're human and understand where they're coming
0: from. As long as that doctor is honest and, and works with integrity and transparency and is a good human being, um, you know, team members, I find they, they want to be led. I, I've had doctors who said, well, I just need to put this out to the team and they need to figure out how to make this practice better. It, it doesn't work that way. No, 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 not, not, not at, not at all. So. So culture is important. It it seems like it's getting more and more, and and not only in in dentistry, but accounting. Oh, my goodness. We we have such trouble, especially in full employment, because all the good people are working. So you know, it seems to be harder and harder to find great people. How do you find great team members in a dental office?
1: You know, um, it takes 40% longer to fill open positions now than it did even a few years ago. Yeah, and it is super tough. And every that seems like the issue that every dentist I talk to is struggling with. I don't know where to find people. I don't know what to do. And so recognizing that there's not this overabundance of people for us to hire means that we do not have the option to not train, develop, and love our team. And I think that a lot of people feel like, oh, you know, my team is just average. Like I want this rock star team. I want them to come and help me build this practice. And what they don't realize is that it, it they have to lead the team. They are responsible for that culture. Like you said, they want to be led. They want to be guided, but we have to invest in our team. And so I've seen a lot of really fun, creative things that, that people have done to recruit, whether that's, you know what, a super friendly person when I go through Chick-fil-A, right? And it's like, you, you know, I, I have recruited target cashiers. I have recruited Chick-fil-A people for things like, you know, front office person who's really, really friendly. So I think we have to constantly be out and about looking for it. But I think the other thing is that one, you can't underestimate social media. And if you are willing to show the personality and the culture of your practice and not like, you know, these stock images or whatever, that the younger generation, they... They very much are looking at how you behave on social media. And if you appear to be having fun and you care for your team and, you know, it looks like a fun place to work, a lot of people have been able to recruit that way. Um, So you have to do that. And then um, the other thing that I was going to say was um, your, you know, your onboarding process has got to be really dialed in and you have to put time and effort to it. And then, when you're creating your job advertisement, if your job advertisement looks like everybody else's, then it's not going to set you apart. And so, what the you know modern workforce is looking for is there's no longer this like clear cut boundary between my personal life and my professional life. So what I what where I work is really really important, and I want to work somewhere where it's fun. So. Being able to include in that advertisement a little bit about the culture, a little bit about more about the experience and what makes your practice different is going to help you stand out from everybody else who's looking.
0: You, you know, and you're, you're spot on, uh, Josie. I, I have always hired, I will hire attitude and I can train skills. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it, it, it it's amazing. I, I've always... Um, I taught my two boys, my two boys are adults. I've always taught them that when you meet someone or you go for a job interview or something, um, firm handshake and look me in the eye. i have I have people that don't do that and and it's amazing. I, I also it was interesting. I asked an interesting question, which was the first question that I was ever asked when I was sixteen years old back when the dinosaurs ruled the earth. you know? And the question was that the 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 accountant in San Pedro, California asked me, uh, are you bright now fortunately i answered the question correctly <laughs> and said yes but i do ask i did ask that of everybody and it's, it's interesting and, and most people immediately say i am the ones that have to think about it you got to wonder about but um uh, but what were some of the fun things that you would encourage people to do to try and find you said that there are some interesting ways to to recruit people
1: um, yes. So I think that constantly being aware and looking for that talent, that personality, like, um, you know, like you're talking to. Um, one of the things that we did that worked really, really well at Carolina's Dennis was a, an employee referral. So, you know, we lived and died by our core values and we felt like our core values helped us differentiate the type of people that would work well in our environment versus people who maybe would not. And, um, so we would, we would have this employee referral. Now we were a group, so it was, you know, a little easier, but if they recommended somebody and they were hired and they made it to, you know, 90 days at least or whatever, then we would give them a bonus. And so for a nice. dentist, if you recommended a dentist, because we were always looking for great dentists, you could earn a thousand dollars. If it was a dental hygienist, you could get $500. So, um, but you know, b- because we had created this culture, and they were so aware of our core values, um, they knew whether or not somebody was going to work well in our environment.
0: Okay, talk talk for a minute about the onboarding process. I see, I I hear about this from my offices, and it, here's the onboarding process. Uh, hi, team. This is uh, this is Josie, our new front office administrator. Uh, Joni, would you would you train her? That's the onboarding process, right?
1: Exactly. That is the onboarding process. So, so
0: how, what is Josie's onboarding process?
1: So Josie's onboarding process is I actually have created um, a core process. So making sure that my team understood what the expectation was. You know, I'm getting ready to speak actually um, at a conference in March in New Orleans. And the title of my lecture is Why the Patient is Not Your Number One Customer. And, um, onboarding is actually so critical to team experience and many dentists that I know of, they don't put any, any effort or thought towards what is the experience for my team and I should treat them as my customer. And for onboarding, what we would do is, you know, we had a very specific interviewing process to make sure that we were identifying great people And then on that first day, um, so we had a fun little questionnaire that we would have them fill out before they came. Like, you know, what's tell us about your family. Um, Do you have any pets? What's your favorite treat? You know, things like that. And if they said, you know, I love Snickers. Right. Then I would remember that. So on the first day, they always get like a nice welcome where they get, you know, a T-shirt. They get some sunglasses. They get some company swag. They get a nice folder that has our vision, our core values. It gives them their information on their benefits. And if I remembered, you know, I'd make sure and get that treat that they love um, and put it in there so that it felt a little personalized. And so I would always start with, um, and we had a checklist to make sure it would be, you know, what is the company vision and purpose and where are we going? And um, a lot of people lack that. And so for us, the vision was, one, what is our purpose, right? And and it's that, that feeling, that emotional, you know, whatever. And Dental Intel has the same thing. And then what are the, what are the actual like metrics that we're driving to or the company goals? So we would go over that. And then from that, we would demonstrate to them how their part fit in with the overall company vision so that they knew how they could contribute. We'd make sure like, if you need this, you go here. If you need this, you go here. And then um, in dentistry, it's tough because there are so many different softwares and programs that we have to utilize. And so, you know, sometimes in the first week, it's just making sure everybody's got a log on and a login and you know what to use what program for. But what we did is we would say at the end of week one, a team member should be able to do this. And then at the end of 30 days, this is what they should be able to do at the end of 60 days and at 90 days. And so those things were task oriented, but they were also driven by metrics, um, you know, call conversion for front office people and then making sure to have a mentor assigned to them that would go through and do training and then continual follow ups with the manager to make sure that they feel appreciated and understood and that they feel supported. So onboarding definitely is um. It should be a well-thought-out process.
0: Are, are there some resources out there that uh, our listeners can maybe go to, to to see some of this stuff?
1: Great question.
0: And there may not be, so, but...
1: You know, I, we had to build our own stuff, so I haven't been able to find it.
0: Ah, okay. Well, um, they can come to your... You, you said you're giving a lecture on this topic?
1: Yeah, it's, so I'm I'm giving a lecture at the Delivering Wow Summit in March in New Orleans, where I will... I will talk about That's
0: that. it. Anissa, but, um, a-, 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 a Alyssa Holmes uh group, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. she's pretty amazing. Um okay, let us let, let's, let's move on to get get into more of the business side. So, how do you how do owners and managers simplify what they do? I mean, it's hard to run a business. There's so many moving parts. I know you got involved in that in your work at uh, Carolina's Dental. Um, how how can how can we help the owners and the managers run uh, you know, simplify what they do?
1: hmm So uh, many managers have moved up to their position because they were really good at their job. Maybe they were great front office people, maybe great dental assistants, even some hygienists where they were really good at what they did. So they were elevated. And this is not just in dentistry, right? We see this in, in any industry. But when you move from that position to a manager, where we struggle is understanding that I don't have to now do all of the things but I need to coach and develop others. It's this idea of replicating yourself and delegating to other people. Because as leaders and managers, we need to look above the fray. And so I, I use an example with my my new managers that you know when you were when you were little and you had those like ant farms that it would be like the two clear pieces of glass right. you could see them digging tunnels right. So when we're a great employee, we're the ants right digging mm-hmm. the tunnels. And when we're a manager or a leader, we need to be on the outside looking in to help them anticipate roadblocks or where they're getting stuck, or things like that. And so, being able to take that that higher level view um, is going to be important. And then I think that you know the way that we would simplify things is one: who are the right people for our organization, and that is determined by our core values. And then how do we know that they're in the right place or the right seat? So. Creating absolute clarity for people and simplifying things where, you know, when you sit down and you talk to um, a front office person, rather than listing all of these crazy things that they need to do step by step, help them understand the bigger picture and start with the outcomes, right? Like Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. Right. So determine what are the three to five things per this position that are really, really important that I need them to do. Um, And then help them get really good at those skills and then give them a couple of metrics, things track and that they can measure that help determine their success and they have control over and allow them to work within that. Now, the other thing is identifying what are the handful of things that we want done consistently every time with our team. And so, rather than having like this 300-page operating manual, you know that that nobody uses. Yeah, can you create? Look at your organization and create the structure. Here are your metrics, and within that, giving team members the autonomy um, to figure out how best to get there.
0: Okay, and here's one for you. So we're going to move um a person up from being a front office administrator to being the office manager. And that front office administrator has always been and and again um you'll excuse the expression the ma- vast majority of people that work in in dental offices are, are, are female. So I'll use the term they've always been one of the girls, okay? And um uh so how do we how do we we don't just flip a switch like Monday, you're one of the one of the girls, and Tuesday, now you're managing all of the girls. How does that work?
1: You know, that's a really, really great question um, because we have found that that is one of the most difficult transitions to make, and that is because um, we go from being a peer and somebody that we're very open with, and then all of a sudden, we don't know for sure how they're going to act as a manager. Um, are they going to be a collaborative manager? Are they going to be, you know, this micromanager? How are we going to to work with that? So we actually had um, in Carolina's dentist because we loved growing people from the inside. If we had somebody move from that position to a manager, we often would not let them be the manager in the com- the office that they grew up in, so to speak. Because we felt that that transition was difficult. Now, I did see, I did have a couple managers that successfully did that. But I think that we overprepared them for what would happen with their relationships and what it would be like. And they had some pretty, like, tough skin. And they were very motivated and wanted to grow in their leadership. So, um, you know, sometimes it, it, it is really tough. But I think it's something that you prepare for. And being open and honest with each other and being able to set standards and hold people accountable, um, your friends, you know, they, they might struggle with it at first for you to have to hold them accountable or talk about their performance. But as you remain true to who you are and live with integrity and lead with love and whatever, then then the adjustment phase will, will success.
0: So be, before we move on, because I do want you to talk a little bit about how you use metrics in your in your work with uh, with dental offices, um, I, I want you to would you be so kind, Josie, to give out your contact information? If well, let's say we have a dentist that's listening, and it's just really struggling with how to lead a team and how to uh, how to bring people on. Uh, can can they give you a call and, and talk to you?
1: Yes, absolutely. So you can find me on, on social media as Hygienist and Heals. But you can also, my email is super easy. It's just hygienistinheels at gmail.com.
0: And we'll put that up on the show notes uh, on the website uh, when Josie's uh, show comes up. All right. Well, let, let's get into these evil numbers that you and I have talked about, Josie. Yeah. How do we measure and track things? I, I know you're you you you're a little partial to one particular metrics program. I do know that. But um, it's a little, it's inti- little bit. It's, it's intimidating. I mean, what recommendations do you have for dentists to kind of pull this all together and use these numbers,
1: yes, absolutely so um when i so when I've worked with teams to implement dental intelligence, and I did that even before I was a dental intelligence employee, um, you know whether it was my team or I did some coaching and things um, with delivering wow and on the uh, you know just friends that I helped or whatever um, and so dental intelligence was was my preference before, and that's logical fit why i 'm here. But one of the things that is so funny that we take for granted is um, dentists, well, one, not even just dentists, but as leaders and managers, if we don't understand the change curve and change management and what people go through, anytime we implement any type of change, then we're flying a little bit blind and we can't understand why people are nervous. So the first thing is to recognize that anytime you implement change, you're going to get resistance. It doesn't matter if it's a positive change. People are so stuck in their ways. Yep. But the other thing is that as healthcare professionals, we're not used to looking at numbers. We're not used to thinking about profitability, things like that. And so there is this fear when dentists start utilizing analytics that as a team member, oh my gosh, they're just all about the numbers. They don't care about the patients. Does this mean you know, that you're just going to start pushing me to do perio treatment when I shouldn't be doing perio treatment or whatever the case is. So there's this fear. So um, I, I, I talk with dentists a lot and have them really clarify their vision and their purpose with their team to be open and vulnerable, you know, even to say, you know what, I'm not used to tracking my performance. And when we look at these things, I'm probably going to identify where I struggle and that's okay. So you have to create a safe environment and you have to have a healthy culture. And then once you have that, um, it becomes, again, just being very, very supportive. So never, ever using data as a weapon, um, but celebrating where we can and identifying where we have areas of opportunity to grow. The other thing is that when we open it, it looks like Chinese writing to us. We have (laughs) no context if that's a good number or a bad number or what our number should be or why we should care about it. And so just allowing yourself to know that for a little bit, it's going to feel awkward. You're not going to be able to make a ton of actionable decisions until you get used to it and you start to understand what the trends are and what the context is. So being able to um, get rid of a lot of the noise and all of the numbers that we could be tracking or could be looking at beginning with the end in mind, you know, if it's that you need to grow your collections in your practice, what are the few really important things that would contribute to that? And what does the part that everybody plays in that? Um, so as a dental hygienist, that is, you know, looking at how well, how effective am I offering treatment and getting my production per visit, right? Right. Or am I making sure to fill the schedule as I can? Now, as a hygienist, I'm not saying that we should shorten hygiene appointments and go crazy. I would much rather us deliver, have enough time and deliver really comprehensive care. But a lot of people get really, really nervous. And the fact is is that if we're not already tracking it, we have no idea where we are. So as I'll talk to, um, you know, whether it's a dentist or a hygienist and start asking questions, in our minds we're better than we are you know they're like oh like i've got like 90% case acceptance like lots of people say yes to me right yeah
0: everybody everybody reappoints when they for their next hygiene yes. appointment yes. Yeah, 130% right
1: yes exactly and then when we start to look at it one it's really hard to recognize that oh man maybe maybe i'm maybe i do have some areas of opportunity that i should work on The other thing is a lot of people for hygienists in particular, and dentists, this is super important to talk about. They feel like all that you're going to have them just do a bunch of perio treatment. That's not necessary. But when we look at the disease prevalence in the population and what we're actually treating, it is far under what we know from research and the CDC and the ADA, what the prevalence is of periodontal disease. And so Sometimes it's a matter of using those metrics and then asking yourself, do we have a protocol for that? Does the team know what that protocol is? Have we trained on it? Have we calibrated our clinicians? And what can we do to make sure that when a patient comes into our office, we are treating them the way that, you know, to that standard of care that the dentist.
0: Well, and, 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 and we've talked about this on this podcast many, many times is It's a liability issue. I mean, it's a, it's a total health issue. If, and we have to explain to the hygienist, the culture is we're not doing this to generate more revenue. I mean, an extra 75 or $100 for an hour hygiene appointment is not going to change your life or my life, but it's going to change that patient's life because there is a link between periodontal disease and other afflictions. As, as a, as one very prominent periodontist once told me, Josie, all disease probably starts in the mouth. Yes. And uh, you know that and, and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's really important to know the metrics. But I also think it's important, ladies and gentlemen, and, and what Josie's saying is, is, again, spot on, is that we, we we educate the team and we say to them, our number one priority is to give the best world-class patient care that we can. And then the money will come. But we are also running a business and they have to realize that too, right?
1: Yes. Yes, yeah. they do. You know, I think that the other thing is when we talk to team members about metrics, we have to tell them what's in it for them. So what I love about using metrics is that it cuts through a lot of the murky stuff, right? That it is, it is subjective. It's not objective. So if you feel like maybe your office manager doesn't like you, so she's going to score you low on a performance review, your metrics will show how you're performing. And so. You know, Or Dennis might say, oh, like the practice needs to do better, go work harder. Well, what on earth do you mean by go work harder?
0: I am working hard, Josie.
1: <laughs> right. Metrics give us clarity into how we're doing and how we can contribute. They also provide that clarity for team members. Uh, again, like, what do you expect of me if I'm working for you? They want to be led. They want to be guided. Exactly. They want those specifics. And so the metrics allow that. The other thing that I think is underestimated when we're talking about metrics, especially for clinicians, is the ability to focus and get better at what I do, but to master something. So I might look at all of my metrics and maybe I recognize, you know what, my re- I'm not great with reappointment. I'm going to focus on that for the next quarter. I'm going to get really good at that. Right, And then I'm going to focus, you know what? Maybe my fluoride percentage is not great, and I know that fluoride is important. I'm going to look at the hygienist next operatory who has a great percentage and listen to what she's doing and how she's getting better. So it gives us some direction in how we can um, develop mastery of our skills
0: right and 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 again, the the metrics are so, so important. And we have learned, I've learned. In, you know, I've been looking for a program like, like yours, uh, for 35, 30 years and it's now here. And I've been, it, it didn't exist when I was getting started in the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands and stuff like that it didn't exist. And now, now it exists. And what I'm finding is there's so much opportunity. You know, doctors, you don't need to go. I mean, you may need marketing. You may need to go out and hire a marketing company. You may need to get on social media and. And, and, and do all these things. But there's huge tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars of production, Josie, in these practices um, that, that are just not being tapped. And, and a lot of this goes to the, the leadership part, right?
1: Yes, it absolutely goes to the leadership part. Yeah. Um, you know, funny. So Dental Intel actually was born because Weston had a CPA firm and they created right. some dashboards and he was always trying to pull stuff and struggled. And so it's fun, you know, what you were just talking about, Weston was in that same position and created dental intel. Um, but what I love also about this company is um, that our purpose is to help people grow. And we have a goal to help 50 million more patients be scheduled. Because we care about oral health. It's funny. I actually have never worked for a company that's more passionate about oral health than dental intel, which yeah. is really, really funny. But you know what I see where the struggle is in the implementation of it, it's not that the software is an issue. It's the leadership of the manager and the owner. And so as we can develop those skills and get comfortable talking about this and holding people accountable and setting clear expectations... Um, then then it's amazing what it can do to help people grow.
0: So, we've got a few minutes left. Again, I, I just love talking to, to people who are passionate about dentistry like yourself. It's, it's an, absolute, an absolute joy. But unfortunately, we can't do eight hour podcasts. So, um, let's put a bow on this and, and let's talk about a dentist is listening to this and they say, I'm not a leader. I don't know how to do this. I just go in, I, I, I'm a great clinician, I, I do great margins. I I do great work on my patients. I go to uh, a or Spear or whatever, but, but this leadership thing, I I don't do this. What, what can we do to make dentists lead? What steps should they be taking?
1: You know, it's such a great question. And I think that, um, it's easier than you think. And that's good. (laughs) Because a lot of people think I'm not a good leader because they're thinking about crazy, charismatic people who have like this cult following, like like, "I'm, I'm not a Tony Robbins, right? So you don't have to be somebody you're not to be a great leader. Being a great leader is, number one, creating a safe environment for a team to come to work, to work through their issues, to develop relationships providing crystal clear expectations for them um, and how you expect them to do things, and then coaching and developing people and just holding them accountable. Having a handful of a few few rules and being very consistent with them will do far more um, than what you expect it will as a leader. And so, um, you know, like there are definitely books and seminars and programs and things like that. But I think starting, starting there is a good, a good point.
0: Last thing we'll touch on is conflict. How do we deal with an office where everybody doesn't have the same life experiences? And, you know, this one has got this issue and this one's got that issue. And this one is a team player. And this one is more interested in, in just coming to work and filling a seat for eight hours. How do we deal with all these different personalities?
1: Great question. One of my favorite books and one that I read continually um, is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and that's by Patrick Lencioni. And I think starting there is, is really, really great because we think that conflict is a bad thing, and we think that conflict is something that we should avoid. And many of us have you know, had something that we were bothered by but we wouldn't talk about it because we were so worried about what that, what would happen and recognizing that trust doesn't come from an absence of conflict. Trust comes from working through that conflict. And so creating again, that safe environment where it's okay to be me and all of my flaws. And this is just an issue that we need to discuss. This is just an issue that we need to work through um, is really, really important. I think that also understanding different generational dynamics is really important. Um, right now I'm building a course for dentists and office managers in how to lead better with data. And it's something that we'll be providing at dental Intel. And one of the things as I, have you know, looked at it and to tr- tried to figure out what is the most useful Gallup, which you've probably heard of Gallup, you know, they've done tons of research on different things. Um, and they've been doing it for 80 years. They, you know, years ago, Try to figure out across the world what was making people happy. And of course, they wanted like safety, security, food, shelter. And then after that, it was, you know, have a home, you know, have a good job, whatever, own a home, have a family. So what they're finding now is that though the home and the family is important, but it's a lower priority. So what makes a great life for people right now is having a great job. And having a great job means that my work gives me purpose, that I'm part of something that is bigger than me. And they talk about how only 15% of people are actually actively engaged in their work. Um, And then, you know, there's this other people that, you know, 15% is actively disengaged. And then the other, what is that, 70% are just like, they're not engaged. They're either here nor there. They're kind of just coming. They're
0: filling a chair.
1: Yes, and so what they have found is seven that seventy percent of variance in team engagement has to do with the manager. Mm-hmm. So if you have a manager that cares for you, that develops you, that coaches you, um, and you can come to work and be driven by a purpose, that's what makes a great life. Wow! Um, as dentists and office managers, you have that opportunity to create a place that gives people purpose and that they want to come to work. And they want to be engaged and help fulfill your purpose. But you have to just share that purpose. with Yeah. Them.
0: Wow, this is great. Josie, um, if you want to get a hold of Josie, I'm going to let her give her contact information out one more time. Uh, you're creating courses that are going to deal with a lot of what we've just talked about, right? Yes. So, uh, Josie, one more time. Uh, you said hygienist and heels. I love that. That's great.
1: Yeah. Hygienistinheels heels at gmail.com. And then you can find me on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Yeah. Now my, my, my main driving force is to hit my four five and six irons straight. And that's a something that I'm just kind of working on, you know, in the middle of doing a tax return and I'm thinking, no, I'm just kidding. So, uh, Josie Sewell, you're an amazing young woman, a passionate, wonderful mother. Um, I mean, it, I just really enjoyed my time with you and I, um, I I've got a, um, you know, I'm I'm sure your your path and my path will cross at some point, and um, uh, I really really appreciate your time today. And uh, guys, if you have a question, email Josie. She's very very giving with her time and and passionate about helping uh, helping dentists to be better, and, and and that's what we want, folks. It's it's all about working not just in your business but on your business. We want you working on your business. So. Josie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Art. It was a great conversation. I'm I'm super excited to see how your podcast develops and just love what you're doing.
0: Well, we're very excited. And and again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, we have our new partner, Decisions in Dentistry, and we've renamed the podcast. It's now uh, The Art of Dental Finance and Management. So as I sign off today, ladies and gentlemen, That's it for this edition of The Art of Dental Finance and Management. Boy, I love the ring of that. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.